Hello. Hi. I'm back, bitches. Yay! I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And I'm no longer on vacation. Nope. But was it fun? <laughs> it was fun. But welcome to this podcast. Doesn't exist. <laughs> You're like, don't jump off the script. <laughs> the two original besties. A hey, shout hey. out to Brittany and Gregory for coming on and filling in whilst I was gone. I had fun listening to your episodes. And dear listeners, don't get confused next week. Because I am not on vacation anymore, but you will be hearing part two of the Gregory Chaos, where it actually gets spooky. <laughs> we just got, it was just history time with Emma and Greg, which I loved. Yeah. But yeah. It was great. He called it too, because I was definitely, we were, we were maybe 40 minutes into this, re- that record and we were like, well, I was like, we're cruising, we're getting there, we're like very close to the end. We were not close to the end. Um, so you get to hear the rest of that next week. Woo! But don't get confused, listeners. I'm here. You can't get rid of me that easy, Brittany. You cannot dethrone me. But it was nice. (laughs) I hope you all enjoyed it. Hopefully in the future we can implement that instead of doing reposts. But I think it'll only work if I'm on vacation because you if you're gone, I can't edit the podcast. So if Emma is doing anything, you guys will get some reposts. But that's fine, too. But now you know the rhythm, I guess. But yes. it'll be fun regardless. Indeed. Also, things may be sounding a little different today. That's because, not because I'm on vacation, no, no, but Miss Emma went on a little trip and came back with a souvenir that she is not enjoying. Nope. I got pink eye. Like a gross, disgusting, diseased person. Or, no, you just are, uh, like, a toddler. You were living your life, exactly. and now you, I was, now you got an icky. <laughs> I, got a, I got an icky gross souvenir, and I gave it to Carter, of course, by accident. Pink Eye is extremely contagious. But that's why Shannon's at her house right now. Yes, and we are on my Zoom. house. So that she doesn't catch the gross, disgusting, diseased eye no, thing. No, no. And, you know, caveat, caveat, disease does not make you disgusting, but the symptoms are... No, yeah. exactly. It, it feels it feels disgusting. Like, I am fine, but the feeling is so... It's You're sick. Like, I'm sick. Yeah. Well, it, so. I think my eyeballs are in solidarity. They've been very itchy today, I think, just because mm-hmm. of allergies. But I was like, could we not? Could we not? <laughs> I, like, laid on my couch with, like, a, a wet washcloth on my eyeballs because my my fancy eye doctor because i have diabetes you guys um i have i have a care team of a roster of doctors if you will but she's like rasta she's a doc rost she's like (laughs) don't don't rub your eyes when they because like she you know you're like in the medieval contraption with your head in in the chin thing and then they get like the thing and she's like she's like you get allergies don't you i was like yeah she's like okay i can see some irritation i was like but i have i've been good i'm on like three medications anyway we hope your eyeballs are doing well yes we do and also that your ears are doing well if you're listening to us which i assume most of you are but if you're not you can read transcripts uh for some of our episodes on our website which is what emma this podcast doesn't exist dot com dot com (laughs) yeah you can find all of our stuff there you know we've got our episodes we've got transcripts we've got some cute little fan art all of the quote good buttons which was a recent addition to emma's vocabulary that i've been to you can follow all of our social medias there you know what else they can do emma they can write into the show yes they can you know we ask you to write in with a lot of things and like a 13 year old to a mother you ignore a lot of that when we ask you to do stuff but this time I'm asking pretty please with a cherry on top. You may have noticed we have some fun new template content out on the Instagram. We've got some fun quotes. We've got some reviews. And I would love to get more of those things. So if you are enjoying your time with us, 
if you have enjoyed your time with us, write us a little review. That'd be awesome because then I could put it on the Instagram. You can get featured. And if you have any fun quotes, if you're li- especially if you're listening to like Backlog, shout out to Shelby. She's been catching up and she's been texting some funny quotes. I'll also accept those, please and thank you. We love reminders of how funny we are. Yes. Also, it's really great, though, because as previously discussed, I once we close this Zoom, I'm going to forget everything we talked about. So even though you researched it, like it, it won't it won't matter. No. I mean, I'll remember some of the information, but I won't remember the jokes or the bits. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that makes it's it. It's a nice, fun little surprise for you every time you, yeah, you tune in. Exactly. You're like, oh. Look how adorable I am. Wow, Look how cute this I'm is. So Look how witty. funny we are. <laughs> so that's been We'll fun. just make a reel for you to put on Hinge of <laughs> Shannon's, Shannon's highlighted and funniest moments. I mean, there is an audio prompt. So that, that'll just be that. <laughs> it's like... There you um, go. Already recorded and edited. Well, I'm going to... Here we go. You're going to be like, what are you talking about? But the trend on TikTok where it's like, oh, I wish you could see like a 30 second trailer of a person. And then the song oh, yeah. that's like, hey, ho, here we go. Like that. But it's just me doing bits on the podcast. Great. Anyway, we'll talk about it after the show. You all don't need to yeah. be, be here yeah, for well, that. offline. Maybe we feature a little bit of it. Maybe. <laughs> hey, if Greg can use our podcast to share his dating oh my his gosh, dating status, I tune single, everybody, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> um, okay. Great. Okay. Anything else for the people, Emma, before we jump in? No. I love you. Thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to hear what Shannon has brought to the table today. For a second, I didn't realize you were talking to the listeners. I was like, oh, I love you, too. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love you, too. Everybody okay, is great. loved. Everybody should be hydrated. Jenna. Also, happy Pride Month. I know it's coming to the end of it, but we haven't given it a shout out. Um, well, actually, so. Emma, that is my next bullet point today. So I love it when I'm on script. <laughs> Look at you. You I feel I'm like off book on script. You're better. You're better being on script when you don't know what's going on, I feel like. <laughs> that's the story of our lives. Okay. But so with everything that's going on politically in our country, it feels more important than ever to be loud, proud, and also informed. Oh, I thought you were gonna say gay, but yeah. It, also that. But I'm not going to force it on the people. You know, That's... you may interpret it as happy. You may yes. interpret it as as queer. Whatever you want. Yes, do it. Yes, and both, both, both. Yeah, both. Okay, so today we're going to learn about the one and only Marsha P. Johnson. Yay! I had an inkling. I'm so excited. Woo! I I had another case that I was going to do that was just like in my notes as like potential future episode, but it's like a murdery one and super duper sad. The victims are part of the queer community and I was like, that's not the energy we need during Pride Month. That feels insensitive and problematic. So I was like, I'll save that for a later time. Fair. So anyway, Yes, we're going to talk about Marsha P. Johnson. I'm just doing a little note at the top that Johnson's relationship to gender was more flexible and like discourse around identity and pronouns was a lot different back then. So throughout this episode, I'm going to aim to reference Johnson either by name or by using the neutral they them um, because I don't know, like some sources refer to her or refer to them as she, her, and, like, she's included, they're included in the, like, Women's History Museum, like, things like that, but just a thing at the top, that's gonna be my aim, obviously, I just slipped up multiple times, so, which I think is okay, but I don't know, because the, the discourse was not as clear, but, you know. Yeah, if there was no explicit, like, these, because there wasn't a 
conversation around it then if there was no like i am a woman i would like to be referred to as she her like there's no yeah well and like there's no like explicit thing that you can follow yeah so i feel like you're doing great. yeah so yeah there was general conversation there were people doing that but i did not have a specific like quote from Outline. them yeah or anything like that and as we get into it you'll understand why it's a little more flexible a little more anyway all right we're going to get into it now. Yay. So Johnson was assigned male at birth and named Malcolm Michaels Jr. on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Johnson first began wearing dresses at the age of five, but stopped temporarily due to harassment by boys who lived nearby. You know, Ooh. children can yes. be tomato, terrible. tomato. <laughs> In a 1992 interview, Johnson described um, being the young victim of sexual assault at the hands of a 13-year-old boy. So that also played a role in, you know, reverting back to a more masculine presentation. After this, Johnson described the idea of being gay as, quote, some sort of dream, unquote, rather than something that seemed possible, and so chose to remain sexually inactive until leaving for New York City at the age of 17. Johnson's mother reportedly said that being homosexual is like being, quote, lower than a dog, unquote, but Johnson kind of defends their mother by saying that she wasn't aware of like the queer community so she hadn't like encountered a lot of people from that community so and it seems like later in life uh mom got on board because she encouraged her child to find a quote billionaire boyfriend or husband to take care of johnson for life a goal johnson talked about <laughs> often to which i said hashtag relatable <laughs> Moms will continue to be and always be moms. Like, I just. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Like, all right, fine. You're gay. Whatever. Find a rich husband. Find <laughs> right. a rich husband. They gotta be gay doctors, right? They gotta be. Oh, if they cute, they got cash and they gonna give you a steak dinner every other night. <laughs> they yours, baby. Uh, Go for it. Oh my goodness. What was my name again? As the old lady. Oh, I really... Doris. I was Doris. You were Doris. <laughs> I can't, don't ask me about bits from the past. I don't remember. <laughs> As we've established, Shannon has no memory. Her memory gets, like, men in black wiped every time it's we like, do an episode. Uh, what's that show? Severance? Where it's like, they all... Oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't either, but I think the concept is, like, when they leave the office, their memories of the office, like, get wiped, so they don't know... Terrifying. Like, they... I guess they know where they work, but they don't know what they do there. That's me. We finished, and I'm like, I re yeah, I do a podcast. I don't remember. Couldn't what tell you what it's it. about. <laughs> well, actually, we need to memento you. It doesn't exist, actually. Um. Oh, that's it. That's why. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's why you can't remember because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. After graduating from Edison High School in 1963. Johnson left home for New York City with $15 and a bag of clothes. In 1966, Johnson moved into Greenwich Village and waited tables. They also began hanging out with street hustlers near the Howard Johnsons at 6th Avenue and 8th Street. And at this point, their life really changed. Um, Johnson came out and said, quote, my life has been built around sex and gay liberation, being a drag queen and sex work. During this time, Johnson did not have a permanent home and bounced around sleeping at friends' houses, hotels, restaurants, and even movie theaters. In a 1992 interview, Johnson was said, quote, I was no one, nobody from Nowheresville until I became a drag queen. So now we're going to talk about kind of the new era, the new era of Marsha. The newly minted drag performer initially used the moniker Black Marsha, but later changed it to Marsha P. Johnson. The Johnson comes from the Howard Johnson's restaurant on 42nd Street, and the P stands in reference to Johnson's gender identity, and its meaning is entirely iconic. P as in pay it no mind. 
So, Love it. Yeah, when people would be like, are you a man or a woman? Pay no mind. Pay no mind. Johnson once said this phrase to a judge who was amused by it, leading to their release. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Of like, Great. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Johnson variably identified as gay, as a transvestite, and as a queen, referring to drag queen or street queen. According to Susan Stryker, a professor of human gender and sexuality studies at the University of Arizona, Johnson's gender expression could perhaps most accurately be called gender nonconforming. Johnson never self-identified with the term transgender, but the term was also not in broad use while Johnson was alive. Fair. In interviews, Johnson clarifies their view that transvestites were homosexual people who wore the opposite gender's clothing, while transsexuals were people undergoing hormone therapy. Obviously, those terms are not used today and are considered offensive by many people, but I thought it was important to share what Johnson's thoughts were during their lifetime. Vocabulary lesson. Check. I would love... You know, those like vocab books that we used to have in English class. They were like those orange uh, yes. vocabulary uh-huh. books. I, one, loved those. But it was like every week was a different like set of pages and you would have like 10 vocab words to learn. I would love a quote unquote revised version where it's like popular culture words and like gender words, all the, like that kind of thing to make it like an, it's still educational. But it's like you're learning exactly what these words mean. I mean, I was very proud of you when you used fishy in uh, the previous you. episode. It was like, oh, look at her all grown up. Also, I love that what you're describing is like Ron DeSantis' worst nightmare. That's what that's what <laughs> conservatives think liberals want that's me. schools to be. I am. I am Ron DeSantis' worst nightmare. <laughs> I'll put it on a t-shirt for you. Uh, a, a white Christian woman and Ron DeSantis's worst nightmare. A cis welcome, white world. straight Christian woman. You're welcome, Ron DeSantis. I promise you, I am your worst nightmare. Who's very small and probably it wouldn't be able to do much damage physically. I am very small. I'm very small, but I have a lot of very feelings. Small. I have a lot of feelings. Very large feelings. Johnson's style of drag was not considered high drag or show drag, which I think is what a lot of people think of when they think of drag queens, like very glam, very big hair, jewels, the gowns, the the house, the the house town boots, the the, the hands, the, what is this called? Is it voguing? Yeah, it's part of it. Okay. Yeah. She's voguing with her. <laughs> not, not well at all. Badly. Very badly. But she basically, Johnson couldn't afford those clothing, like the fancy stuff from expensive stores. Johnson received leftover flowers after sleeping under tables used for sorting flowers in the flower district of Manhattan and was known for wearing crowns of fresh flowers. Yeah. There's some very cute pictures on the Instagram, which you should all go follow. Johnson was tall, slender, and often dressed in flowing robes and shiny dresses, red plastic high heels, and bright wigs, which tended to draw attention. Johnson sang and performed as a member of the international New York City-based drag performance troupe Hot Peaches, from 1972 through to the 1990s. I love that name. The Hot That's Peaches. So cute. <laughs> that in and of itself is like a great drag name. Yeah. Their drag tended toward the more comedic and political rather than the glamorous nature of show drag. So I'm like, oh, if Marsha P. Johnson was on RuPaul's Drag Race, would she identify as a comedy queen? I don't know. Or like a camp queen and or both. I don't know. The world will never know. In an alternate timeline, I'd like to think. In 1975, Johnson was photographed by famed artist Andy Warhol as part of a collection of Polaroids called Ladies and Gentlemen. So they were very well known in their community and obviously like beyond that. 
Johnson didn't always present in a highly feminine manner, sometimes dressing down to a more casual flannel and jeans. Their life was not without struggles. We're going to get to the more like political identity based things. But as with everything, everything relates to everything, right? Like housing and access to healthcare is related to race, is related to gender, is related to sexuality, etc., etc. Intersectionality, my friends. At times, Johnson struggled with depression and what modern historians believe may have been schizophrenia. Friends and associates reported that Johnson would sometimes have angry and even violent periods that often seemed to coincide with a more masculine presentation. There were times during these bouts that Johnson would be arrested or committed to mental health facilities such as Bellevue, and the community would have to band together to bail them out. But although Marcia struggled with mental illness, they had a profound way of putting others' needs before their own. Johnson remained in constant communication with their family and often returned home to Elizabeth, New Jersey, in observance of the holidays. During their commute home, Marsha would invite wayward people to join their family for a hot meal. Mm, so, like... I love that. Yes. And now we're kind of moving into the more political side of things, which, like, feel free to jump in, Emma. I know y'all y'all who y'all have been here before. You know when we're on Zoom, the, the non-presenter tends to be a little more quiet just because delays and <laughs> microphones and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. you know... Um, I feel like I'm like up in front of the class, like giving a history report, (laughs) but I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Okay. This time of the year, it's not uncommon to see posts or merch adorned with the phrase pride started as a riot. So we're going to talk about that riot right now. We're doing it on June 28th, 1969. Nice. Police, (laughs) police and sorry, (laughs) members of the queer community clashed during what is now referred to as the Stonewall Riots. The Stonewall Inn was originally a bar exclusively for gay men. Practicing homosexuality was illegal at the time, and the bar would sometimes be raided by local police, despite promised protections from the mafia owners of the establishment. Come on, mafia. I mean... Really? The mafia's gonna let us down? Well, they... How dare they? Well... How dare they? I mean, they got raided, like, less than other places, but still. I mean, that in and of itself is fair, but, like... No, but the mafia... Do your job. Was, You're the mafia. The, the mafia was not in it for any, like, good... They were in it for money, because they no, were I they were like, yeah, I oh, if it. we have a bar exclusively for gay men who, like, can't go dancing anywhere else, they'll come to us and we'll make a ton of money. You know. Yeah, which is fair business model i get it but like <laughs> capitalism you want to keep those people around you gotta be you gotta be their advocates as well you tell the mafia emma you do that uh you know yeah you know i'm ron DeSantis's <laughs> worst nightmare i'm the mafia's worst nightmare get me get me some boxing gloves and a grenade i'm you there. already you already have boxing gloves I do have boxing gloves. Um, I do not need a grenade. That was a joke. Uh, For legal purposes, that was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of grenades, just kidding. Um, But around 1.20 a.m., Seymour Pine, what a name, of the New York... Seymour. (laughs) Of the New York... Suddenly. Anyone else get that? (laughs) You're welcome. Bingo! (laughs) You told, you told me to pipe in. I'm so sorry. I will pipe down a little bit. Seymour Pine of the New York City mm. Vice Squad Public Morals Division. What a nerd. Good Lord. And four other officers joined forces with two male and two female undercover police officers who were already stationed inside the bar. The lights on the dance floor flashed, as was the usual signal to alert patrons of the arrival of the police. We love a little coded system. Yeah, let's go. However, this time, the routine raid did not go as planned. Because the patrol wagons responsible for transporting the arrested patrons and the alcohol, they didn't have a liquor license because it was like a private establishment. Anyway, so they were taking the alcohol too. The wagons took longer than expected, 
Uh, so a crowd of the released patrons and bystanders, they began, like, grouping outside the Stonewall. Like, they couldn't go back into the bar. Uh, so the crowd continues to swell. Writer David Carter notes that the police officers eventually became so afraid of the crowd that they refused to leave the bar for 45 minutes. New York's finest, everybody. They were too afraid of the crowd, like, because they were police officers? Well, because the crowd was growing and they were waiting. Like, I guess they had their, like, people that they were technically arresting inside the bar. But, oh, like, they I didn't, see. They I, didn't want to come out it. into the crowd of unarrested people. <laughs> okay. New York's finest. Anyway, um, the riots began in earnest when a butch lesbian named Stormé de Larvier. Amazing. Don't know. De Larvierie. De Larvierie. She was handcuffed and roughly escorted toward the police van. And she looked at the bystanders and she shouted, why don't you guys do something? And then people got rowdy. Shout out to lesbians. You're great. <laughs> the end. Police, the police, tried to restrain some of the crowd and knocked a few people down, which really just helped the situation uh, and by yeah, helped i mean not... incited the bystanders more <laughs> the riots went on to escalate to the point where the bar the stonewall was on fire and oh. the tactical police force um, of the new york city police department arrived to free the police officers who had barricaded themselves inside the bar what <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just like if you if you had just held off of arresting anybody and just walked away, you would have been fine. Yeah. But, uh, no. They were... No. Anyway. The tactical police force attempted to clear the streets, but it took them until four in the morning to do so. While the first two nights of rioting were the most intense, the clashes with the police would result in a series of spontaneous demonstrations and marches through the gay neighborhoods of Greenwich Village for roughly a week afterward. So that's the kind of, like, general overview. Welcome to History Time with Shan. Imagine Boom. there's a giant rainbow going across the screen right now. The more you giant. know. More but, like, extra know. gay. So sparkly and really vibrant. Yeah, like, more than the original meme. Marsha P. Johnson's role in the uprising is sometimes confused in queer lore and popular culture. So before the riots... Johnson was one of the first drag queens to go to the Stonewall Inn after they began allowing women and drag queens inside. As previously mentioned, it was originally a bar exclusively for gay men. So Johnson was one of the first drag queens to go. Johnson has been named, along with Zazu Nova and Jackie Hormona, amazing name. Amazing. Um, <laughs> unclear, I'm assuming that's not that person's given name, but either way, amazing. But the three of them were named by a number of Stonewall veterans interviewed by David Carter in his book, Stonewall, the riots that sparked the gay revolution as being, quote, three individuals known to have been in the vanguard of the pushback against the police at the uprising. Johnson, however, went on the record denying being there for the start of it. Speaking in, in 1987, Johnson recalled arriving at around two that morning and that the riots had, quote, already started by that time and that the Stonewall building was on fire by that point. So things were already rocking and rolling. Several people stated that Johnson, quote, threw a shot glass at the at a mirror in the torched bar screaming, I got my civil rights on the night of the uprising, but this is now disputed. So, like, some people are like, it was the shot glass heard around the world, all this stuff. I mean, that's a great line, but... It is. Uh, some speculate that Johnson's known gender nonconformance and the mental health challenges that they experienced, some speculate that these made some people hesitant to reference them in relation to the uprising for fear of sullying the growing movement. And you see this all the time, right? Like, mm. it's it's never, oh, we're all going to go together. It's like, well, let us, like, l I mean, white women. White women got the right to vote before 
women of color or indigenous women or black men. Like, you know, so also Marsha P. Johnson was black. I don't think I said that before and you may not be aware. So multiple layers of, again, intersectionality, friends. That's our gender studies word of the day. Johnson did confirm, like I said, that they were not present when the rioting broke out, but instead that they heard about it and went to get their good friend, Sylvia Rivera. Actually, one of the sources wrote the story as <laughs> Marsha P. Johnson had invited a bunch of friends to a party and none, no one showed up. So they were like, well, what's going on? I'm going to go out on the scene and like see what's up. And it's like, oh, because everyone was at this at the riots. So anyway, so while it's very clear from Johnson's statements that they were not there at the start, um, many people have corroborated that on the second night of the riots, Johnson climbed up a lamppost and dropped a bag with a brick in it down on a police car and shattered the windshield. Iconic. Indeed. To which I, I wrote, hashtag all colors are beautiful. Which is what is on the side of the NYPD cop cars this year for Pride season. And it kind of went viral on TikTok because, like, all colors are beautiful. A cab, genius. I don't know if they got a queer artist to design that for them, but chef's kiss. I hope so. I mean, growth is beautiful to see. Well, no, no I mean, I, I, I understand. They don't okay. get the joke. I understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, Emma, do I have to explain no. this to you? <laughs> I they don't they don't get the joke. Yes. Or if they do, they're being real quiet about it. Yeah. So following the Stonewall Uprising, Johnson joined the Gay Liberation Front and was active in the Drag Queen Caucus of that organization. I sorry, I love that phrase. The drag queen caucus. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. There should be a drag brunch called that something or like a show you know what that would happen though they'd spell caucus the the fun way <laughs> indeed yes and it would be a late night show Ooh, okay now we're brainstorming <laughs> all the political queens lined let's up let's call the two drag queens that we know great oh three maybe on it <laughs> great if you're a drag performer please write in and let us know yeah on the first anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion, on June 28, 1970, Johnson marched in the first gay pride rally, then called the Christopher Street Liberation Day. One of Johnson's most notable direct actions occurred in August of 1970, staging a sit-in protest at Weinstein Hall at New York University alongside fellow GLF members after administrators canceled a dance when they found out that it was sponsored by gay organizations. Rude. Because that's lame. Get out of here. That unfortunately sounds uh, too modern to be... Look, nothing in the conservatives' playbook is new. Literally no. nothing. Anyway. Shortly after that, Johnson and close friend Sylvia Rivera co-founded STAR, the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. With Rivera, Johnson established STAR House, a shelter for homeless, gay, and trans youth in 1970, and they paid rent for it with money they made themselves as sex workers. Just a little bit of background. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera met when Johnson came to New York City um, when they were 17. Sylvia Rivera was 11. Oh. And Johnson kind of, like, showed her the ropes on, like, how to stay, stay, stay safe and, like, how to put on makeup and all this stuff. So they, they both participated in survival sex work. But, you know, as we talked about before, Johnson was known for putting other people's needs before their own. So they were paying rent and buying food for these youth that were living in Star House. And the first Star House was actually in the back of an abandoned truck in Greenwich Village before the group moved into a dilapidated residence with no electricity or running water. And while Starhouse was not focused on performance, Johnson was a drag mother of the house and in the longstanding tradition of houses as chosen family in the Black and Latino LGBT community. 
So, you know, you're like, oh, we're from the house of Sanchez or the house, you know, which is really cool. Johnson worked to provide food, clothing, emotional support, and a sense of family for the young drag queens, trans women, gender nonconformists, and other gay street kids living on the Christopher Street docks or in their house on the Lower East Side of New York. While the original location of Star House was evicted in 1971 and the building was destroyed, the household existed in different configurations and at different locations over the years. In an interview Johnson did for a 1972 book, they said their ambition was to, quote, see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America, unquote. They wanted to see their, quote, gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again. In 1973, when the New York City Pride March organizers banned drag queens, including Johnson, from participating, Johnson and Sylvia Rivera just marched ahead of the parade. Just Great. Like, the streets we'll were open clear. it for you. Obviously, yeah. you need some <laughs> kind of leadership, so uh, we'll open it for you. Here you go. You're welcome. We bring the party. Uh, yes. Johnson, who was diagnosed as HIV positive in 1990, also served as a vocal AIDS activist during the late 80s and early 90s, so like with ACT UP and other organizations. Yeah. Johnson remained devoutly religious in later life often lighting candles and praying at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Hoboken. Hey! Hoboken. Hoboken. Love it. So I didn't write down the exact quote, but um, one of the articles was talking about how Johnson's friends were like, oh yeah, sometimes they'll be over at the Catholic Church, sometimes they'll be over with the Baptists, sometimes they'll be at the Jewish Temple, and like... Johnson was sit- basically said, like, oh, I'm just covering all the angles, like something like that. that, which was sweet. Okay. So this is this is where it gets sad. Okay. Sorry. Thank you for the warning. That's yeah. Right. On July 6th, 1992, shortly after the 1992 Gay Pride Parade, Johnson's body was tragically discovered floating in the Hudson River off mm. the West Village Piers. And Johnson was only 46. The police were quick to rule the death a suicide. Near the time of Johnson's death, however, friends said that Johnson was increasingly sick and in a fragile state. However, none of these friends or relatives believed that Johnson was suicidal. Like, their depression had never presented in that vein of things previously. They were all very suspect. And in addition to this, just, you know, personal, we know that person, we don't think that's where they were at. Johnson also had a head wound on the back of their head. So I don't know, that would take a lot of effort to like bash yourself in the head if you were trying to kill yourself, I would think. Well, and also if you're jumping from a bridge or something... Usually what you'd want to do is jump from the middle so that you don't hit anything, so that you drown. Or, like, if they did hit more than one thing, then they would, or if they did hit something, they probably hit more than one thing. Because if they, you know, dove in too shallowly or something, like, that's suspect. Yep, I don't like that. Okay. That's sus. Our official ruling. Sus. That's, that's sus, sis. Johnson's suspicious death occurred during a time when anti-LGBT violence was at a peak in New York City, including bias crime by police. Shocking, I know. Johnson was one of the activists who had been drawing attention to this epidemic of violence against the community, participating in marches and other activism to demand justice for victims, and also participating in an inquiry into how to stop the violence. Johnson had been speaking out against, quote, dirty cops and elements of organized crime that many believed were responsible for some of these assaults and murders. 
Johnson's body was cremated, and following a funeral at a local church and a march down 7th Avenue, friends released Johnson's ashes over the Hudson River off the Christopher Street piers. Police allowed 7th Avenue to be closed while Johnson's ashes were carried to the river. After the funeral, a series of demonstrations and marches to the police precinct took place to demand justice for Johnson. According to Randy Wicker, a close friend and roommate of Johnson's at the time of their death, a witness saw a neighborhood resident fighting with Johnson on July 4th, so two days before their death. During the fight, he used a homophobic slur and later bragged to someone at a bar that he had killed a drag queen named Marsha. The witness said that when he tried to tell police what he had seen, his story was ignored. Other locals stated later that law enforcement was not interested in investigating Johnson's death, stating that the case was about, quote, a gay black man and basically that the police wanted little to do with it at the time. And I say at the time, but also, I mean, we've talked about it, that people of color and indigenous people do not get as much attention as like the Gabby Petitos and Natalie Whites of the world. In December 2002, a police investigation resulted in the reclassification of Johnson's death from suicide to drowning from an undetermined cause. So we're getting somewhere. Former New York politician Tom Dwayne, the first openly gay New York state senator with HIV, fought to reopen the case because, quote, usually when there is a death by suicide, the person usually leaves a note. She didn't leave a note, unquote. In November 2012, activist Mariah Lopez succeeded in getting the NYPD to reopen the case as a possible homicide. And then most of these articles weren't really clear. It sounded like it kind of got reclosed potentially in 2013. Unclear. Uh, In 2016, Victoria Cruz of the Anti-Violence Project also tried to get Johnson's case reopened and succeeded in gaining access to previously unreleased documents and witness statements. She sought out new interviews with witnesses, friends, other activists, and police who had worked on the case or had been on the force at the time of Johnson's death. Some of her work to find justice for Johnson was filmed by David France for the 2017 documentary The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Known throughout Greenwich Village during their lifetime as St. Marsha, Johnson continues to be a symbol of leadership and hope within the queer community and has been honored in many different ways. In 2019, New York City announced that Marsha P. Johnson, along with Sylvia Rivera, would be the subject of a monument commissioned by the public arts campaign, She Built NYC. The monument will be the first in NYC to honor transgender women. In 2020, Time magazine posthumously named Johnson the Woman of the Year for 1969. Perhaps the most impactful remnant of Johnson's legacy is the Marsha P. Johnston Institute. Officially founded in 2019, the Institute's vision is to, quote, live in a world where Black trans people's humanity is fully realized. While we work towards that vision, we want the Marsha P. Johnson Institute to be a cultural and political home for our community, unquote. The organization offers resources, education, events, and more, all with the goal of uplifting and protecting Black trans lives. And that, my friends, the story of the frustrating death but beautiful life of Marsha P. Johnson. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. They sounded like such a lovely person. Yeah. And it's wild because I feel like in a lot of ways in our country, we've been trained to think of like, oh, discrimination and and all these terrible things were so long ago. But nope. like, Marsha B. Johnson died two years before I was born, like the year before you were born, yep. you know? 
they would they would still be alive today probably they'd be like 90 yeah so anyway sorry that it was a bummer you guys (laughs) but also i mean welcome to our show a lot of things are bummers but the first part hopefully could fill you with some joy some righteous anger some desire to get involved I'm going to see, I think I might run a donation for the Marsha P. Johnson Institute on the Instagram post for this episode. So yes, if that's something you'd be interested in doing this prideful month, you can check that out. Or of course, you can donate directly to them on their website, or you can look up local trans organizations in your community. You should be, we should be thinking about them, talking about them, supporting them all year round, but especially during Pride Month and especially while so many trans youth are living in fear of legislation that's trying to be passed in this country, which I won't get into because you don't need me to yell and raise your anxiety (laughs) on this podcast. I'm dancing. Can I share some uh, pride news? Oh, sure. Pride news. Pride news. If you are not a musical theater or theater girly, gay, whatever, um, (laughs) I couldn't think I was like, girly is is too literal, literal spit take just now. Um, (laughs) Gay. If you're not a a musical or theater person and did not watch the Tonys, you may not be aware that the very first actors who are non binary won Tonys this year. There were two of them. They are both beautiful people. Honestly, look them up. Alex Newell won for Shucked, a new musical, which I have not listened to any of the music for. I'm kind of avoiding I, it. <laughs> I, I need to look up the plot. It's about, it's about corn. It's about corn. 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 And the other, I, I'm so sorry, I'm going to forget their name. But their outfit was glorious. So go look them up. Both non-binary, both black, both beautiful people. And I love Alex Newell was on Glee mm-hmm. with, uh, <laughs> with Leah Michelle of Funny Girl and won a Tony before her. So. <laughs> and that's on Karma. It- that's all I have to say. It's it's my favorite. I love it. It made me so happy to see that happen. So yeah, some some general good news of <laughs> for this for this month of Pride, but also just some fun musical theater news if you were not aware or if you missed that. Here's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> and that's queer news. Queer news. In other queer news. I'm still single, in case you were wondering. That hasn't changed between <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew, the I knew. start of the podcast. I knew you were going to say it. Uh, look, I'm just embracing every avenue. I love that. Maybe podcasts I are in the that. new dating app. It's very targeted Honestly, our audience. That's the, it may not be a 30-second you know, show this video clipped of who, what you're getting into. It's not 30 seconds. It's 30 minutes or more. Um, yeah. But you know, you get a good insight into maybe my new maybe my new opener is just like, hey, listen to this podcast and then see if you still are interested. And I just send them the link to our Everest episode because I feel like you really understand a lot about me by the end. You know, honestly, yes. (laughs) Also, I stayed in the house that gave me pink eye, but Carter's cousin was he he's an extremely smart intelligent person but he will get like hyper focused into certain things and there was like a month that he was hyper focused onto the titanic and like all aspects of it and there was this paper that like article that came out that was explaining what you would have had to do if you were in steerage in order to survive the sinking and he read through it and he basically like memorized it and was like this is how i would make it out now i want a time machine to go back in time not 
to stop the Titanic from sinking, not to like kill baby Hitler, not to do any of these, like the things that you should do in a time machine. <laughs> like he wanted to go back and test if the theory was right. And I'm sitting next to his wife who goes, you're not allowed to do that. We have two kids. <laughs> Which I'm like, I love the fact that you guys love each other enough to entertain the idea that if time travel were possible, he still shouldn't do it, but only because he has kids. That's the only reason. <laughs> only reason. That's so, so funny. I loved it. Also, the other performer's name was Jay Harrison Gee from Thank the Tony you. Awards. And they are in Thank the you. show Some Like It Hot. Their outfit blue like this blue dress but it's like i forget like the neckline was this weird situation i loved it it was so pretty <laughs> uh, good times so yeah friends i hope you enjoyed this uh queer history lesson you know uh, as with so many things on this show i don't think we're gonna get an answer to yeah. who who killed marsha p johnson um who knows maybe someone's really racist homophobic uncle will die and leave a diary or something i don't know but probably not or someone gets some some dna situation and somehow we connect it back to something the police didn't yeah. tell us like you uh, know who knows but if we get a time machine we'll go check it out we'll be on the case we'll be on i, the I don't case. i oh, went like i like went to pose like charlie's angels but then i was like but i don't want a gun i don't want the, i was like this is like a magnifying glass. I was going to say, you have a magnifying glass. I have a lasso like I'm Indiana fucking Jones. And we're just going to like swoop, swoop, swoop. Or you're like, do, do, do. So Sherlock <laughs> and Indiana, we're there. We'll go solve crimes. Um, it'll be great. Whoop ass. Solve crimes. Be gay. <laughs> be gay. Solve crimes. That's the remix. Uh, it's great. Anyway, whether or not you are doing crimes, uh, you know, for legal purposes, we don't endorse crimes we on here, but crime. we hope you have a fabulous pride, um, whether you're part of uh, the community or if you're like, Emma, talk Valentina. Ally! <laughs> we hope you're having a fabulous June. Please stay hydrated. Wear SPF, especially if you're out marching in celebration and or protest. And remember, this podcast doesn't exist, but trans people do. And they matter. Amen. Bye. That was like a confetti cannon at the I end. Know, that was, I know. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you got it. But I don't have asthma, just have pink eye. Mm.